Don't kill me, man! I'm not going to kill you. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to tell all your friends about me. What are you? I'm Batman. Hi there, and welcome to Baseball by Design. I am SportsLogos.net minor league baseball correspondent Paul Caputo, broadcasting live, as always, from the Sunday Helmet Hall of Fame in my Batcave in Fort Collins, Colorado. Later on in this episode, I'll be speaking with Nick Fuchs of the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory. We'll be celebrating the triumphant return of Baseball by Design wildlife correspondent Ranger Amy Burnett. And of course, Dan Simon is back with yet another of his Studio Simon Stumpers. Right now, I'm very pleased to be joined by Greg Galliette, uh, who is the president of the Louisville Bats. Greg, thank you so much for joining me. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Well, it's it's my pleasure. This is such a fun brand, such a, a, an integral part of, of minor league baseball. You and I spoke back in 2014 mm-hmm. when I was writing my story behind the nickname for sportslogos.net. And we talked a, a lot about what was then the the purple brand for the uh, for right. the Louisville Bats, and uh, I still have the the purple Bats cap on the wall behind me. I got that when I went to a couple of games there uh, back in 2014. I've been back since then. We were in Louisville as part of our baseball Palooza minor league baseball road trip that we do every year. I was there last year. I went and saw a game with Dan Simon, who was right down the road from you in in Louisville, yep. Kentucky, minor league baseball yep. designer. Dan's a good guy. Yeah, he is. Uh, he certainly is. He's a friend of the podcast for sure. So it's it's a beautiful ballpark. Obviously, you you know you're right down the road from the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory. They uh, you know they are the the name sponsor at, at the ballpark there. So it's obviously an integral and important relationship uh, between you and and the museum and and this the city itself is 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 associated with baseball bats. So I'm just going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to put it in your own words. You have a an animal bat as your logo. So, you know, obviously Louisville's associated with bats. How come you have the animal as your, as your logo? Well, when we were going through the initial name change back in uh, 1999, as we had uh, in 98 left uh, being an affiliate of the St. Louis Cardinals. And for so many years from 82 until that time frame, we were known as the Louisville Redbirds, which were really, uh, I think one of the flagships of, of minor league baseball throughout minor league baseball history. Uh, the first team to ever draw a million fans uh, in one season. I think that year back in uh, 83, we actually outdrew five major league teams at old uh, Fairgrounds Cardinal Stadium. Um, Some nights we were getting 30,000 plus. Um, So it was so neat to join that franchise in the fall of 84 and and to ride that wave with them. And uh, unfortunately, uh, we parted ways with the Cardinals. And uh, for two years, we were with Milwaukee Brewers. And at that time frame, we had a name the team contest. And we had a little girl in town that actually uh, named us the River Bats. But everybody kept asking, you know, the obvious elephant in the room was, you know, you should be named the Louisville Sluggers. And uh, at that time, Jack Hillerick of Hillerick and Bradsby was one of the owners of our team. And unfortunately, uh, he didn't see eye to eye with that uh, uh, being the name of the team, uh, fearing that something may happen off the field, which may you know, possibly uh, smudge the name a little bit, uh, which we fear would never happen and never has. Sure. But unfortunately, we were never allowed to be sluggers. So uh, we thought river bats and then eventually shortening it to bats uh, was the closest thing we could ever come to actually being associated with the wooden bat and still have a play on words there. And it's played really well with the community and also really across the nation as uh, we continue to do so well 
in uh, sales uh, in our team store of our merchandise and of our gear. So uh, we're very pleased with the direction it's taken. How long have you been with the team? Since the fall of 1984. So I'm getting ready to go into, gosh, it'll be my 38th year and uh, uh, seeing some interesting baseball over those years. Uh, got to see, uh, you know, the Vince Coleman's and those guys, Terry Pendleton's, Todd Worrell's, Todd Zeal's come through uh, when we were Cardinals affiliate. And then, of course, uh, we've been with the Reds uh, since 2000 here at Louisville Slugger Field. Got to see Deion Sanders, um, obviously uh, all the great guys that rolled through here from 207 to about 211, which would be Todd or uh, Joey Votto, Todd Frazier, Arolis Chapman. I mean, it can just go on and on I mean, with the talent that rolled through here. Um, and currently uh, we see a rebirth in the farm system of the Reds, and we're excited about uh, some of the young prospects that looks like they'll be coming through for the next couple of years here at Louisville Slugger Field. I often ask the question, you know, if you had a, a visitor from out of town who didn't understand baseball, didn't understand the sport, and you wanted to introduce them to, you know, what, you know, what baseball is in the United States of America. I, I always ask the question, what level of baseball would you take them to? Where, where would you go? In my mind, it's either AAA or AA. To me, that's the sort of most pure form of, of baseball. So you all have a beautiful ballpark there. It's, uh, you know, it's a really, it's a great experience. I We're was very actually... blessed, very blessed to, to really be able to build a ballpark into a building that was built in the late 1800s that was part of the fabric of downtown when we were a predominant riverboat town. And uh, there's such a strong history of baseball in this community. I mean, uh, this uh, community was really one of the original franchises in the National League. Um, there's even stories of the National League maybe being created in an old bar and saloon down the street here where the uh, Ali Center is now. Um, and then, of course, the franchise left at the turn of the century and, and uh, basically went on to become what is known now, I think, as the Pittsburgh Pirates. So a lot of history uh, back through the years, uh, Negro League franchise here for a few years. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're blessed to be built into this beautiful structure, but also we're blessed to be really here at the intersection of two interstates as people pass by in Interstate 64 and 65 as it crosses over right out our center field back door. So many vehicles, especially just passing through the state, drive by and, and get to gaze into this beautiful ballpark each day. So we're very fortunate to have our current location. Yeah, it really is a terrific location. I, you know, I can tell you, last year uh, on our baseball Palooza road trip, we it was our first stop. Louisville was our first stop, and so we got into Louisville in time to go to the Ali Center during the day, and that was a you know fascinating place, a really a, a amazing story to to tell of of Muhammad Ali, and then you know immediately after that we walked from the Ali Center to uh, the ballpark. Had a beer. What's the brew pub that's there that that is adjacent to the against the, the grain? Yeah, it's like, uh, it does very well. And now we have uh, a, a bourbon distillery right across the street, Angels Envy, uh, which when they designed their structure and built it, they made it to look as close to ours, so it would blend in with the neighborhood. And it's been yeah. a great addition to the neighborhood. Well, it works great. And so, and then we enjoyed a, a ball game there. Had a had a great time at the at the ball game. And then uh, next morning, we went and took the tour at the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory, which to me is one of the with the between the Hall of Fame, the Negro Leagues Museum in Kansas City and the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory. Those are the three sort of non baseball sites that I think every baseball fan should get to. And the Slugger um, Museum is currently undergoing a renovation and they should be done by the springtime. And they're going to be unveiling a lot of new areas uh, in their structure and in their museum. So uh, if you've been to Slugger Museum, you need to come back and see a lot of the new features. If you haven't, uh, you need to put it on your to-do list. And you mentioned Muhammad Ali. 
And it's so funny because he was a big fan and friend of our team, particularly back when we were the Redbirds. He would occasionally just show up unannounced, uh, pop up down the left field line, park his car in there uh, where our press parking was and uh, stay down in the right field or left field corner. And uh, kids would go down and mill around him and he'd just do magic tricks for him. Uh, occasionally he'd come into our locker room and speak to our players. So uh, we got to know the champ pretty well over the years. And he came back to Louisville Slugger Field uh, uh, right before his passing and visited our clubhouse. And you would have thought I brought Santa Claus in to visit the players because they were just like little kids gathering around him, just wanting to be part uh, uh, of the champ. And uh, uh, his family, uh, Lonnie Ali, uh, we're still very close. She visits us usually once or twice a season with her family. And uh, uh, he's just a big part of, uh, of the fabric of Louisville and of baseball in Louisville. I had no idea. Yeah, I mean, we, we made it part of our Baseball Palooza trip to see the Ali Center just because it's right. such an important site in Louisville. I had no idea he had that that relationship with the team. I'm, I'm thrilled to, to learn that. That's That's really a great connection right there. What is the connection, the the formal relationship now between the baseball team and the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory? Well, it continues to be a partnership with the naming rights, and uh, they're also a, a partner throughout the entire season, every game, where we promote various features like the renovation coming up that'll be unveiled uh, throughout each and every one of our home games. And it's a very close relationship. Uh, when we did our uh, salute last year and we did the nine where we saluted Negro League Baseball and, and did a special salute to Felton Snow, who was a player that uh, came through and played here in Louisville. Uh, Louisville Slugger Museum partnered with us and came down here and, and brought some of their memorabilia from that time frame and showed it off during the game and uh, even had a lathe here and was making bats. And uh, we're planning on doing that again this year as uh, we salute later in the year in August, uh, the Louisville Black Caps, which was a, a Louisville team in the Negro League. Uh, so we continue to find ways to partner with each other. Um, it, like you said, it's a natural for so many people, especially those visiting from out of town, to come in here, particularly on a weekend, and go to the museum during the daytime and then come over here at night for a bats game. And uh, we even have partnered with the Omni Hotel here in downtown Louisville and have a package where fans can do that. And uh, like you said, if you've been to Cooperstown, if you've been to Kansas City to visit the Negro League Museum, the third and final stop you really need to do on the baseball museums across America is you've got to come to Louisville Slugger uh, Museum and Bat Factory. I mean, it's it's just amazing what they do and still a lot of the players that come in and play against the bats. If they're a client of the uh, Louisville Slugger bat brand, they will go down and visit and a lot of times have their bats made and take them with them before they leave on the, the next stop on their road trip. Yeah, it's a terrific experience, and I, you know, I very much agree. You, you got to make it part of a of a baseball trip to Louisville. If, uh, you know, certainly if you're going to Louisville for a bats game, let's talk about the bats here, though. I want to, you know, the uh, we 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 mentioned the purple brand, and uh, you and I when we spoke back in 2014 about the story behind the nickname, we talked about the reason for the purple specific to your location there. Can you share that again for the for the podcast? Sure. Um... We're kind of almost in the Bermuda Triangle of college basketball, where you've got Indiana University up the road in Bloomington. You go over to the east, uh, just an hour's drive or so away. You've got the University of Kentucky. And of course, right here in Louisville, you've got the University of Louisville, particularly in this state, the University of Louisville and University of Kentucky. I mean, it's a bitter rivalry and we didn't want to show favoritism. So you basically take the colors red and you take uh, the color blue, which the red for the University of Louisville, the blue for the University of Kentucky, you mix them together, you come up with purple. And uh, we wanted to try to show as much neutrality as we can 
uh, and our support for both universities because uh, they both do big alumni nights here during our season on individual games. So uh, that's where the birth of the purple came when we uh, came into existence and, and played here for our first year in 2000. And uh, we also kind of brought some of the colors at that time. We had just parted ways with owning an East Coast Hockey League team for three years and actually ran it with our baseball front office uh, in the mid 90s. It was the Louisville River Frogs and our colors were green, purple and gold. So we kind of brought those colors uh, with us for our first few years here at Little Slugger Field and then slowly moved over just to purple and black. And uh, our players actually seemed to enjoy it as they made their journey through the Reds farm system, primarily wearing red on other, other stops through the farm system. And then as you get close to Cincinnati, you're almost there to the major leagues. All of a sudden you turn around, you got to start wearing purple. So <laughs> uh, I got some interesting reactions from the players over the years on doing that. Well, there were not a ton of purple brands back in the day, right? Like there, there was not, there no. was the New Orleans baby cakes. I guess the Grand Junction Rockies back then were were purple, mm -hmm. but there were only a handful of of purple brands at at the time. Obviously, that color went away when the team was was uh, under new ownership in 2015. You went with uh, SME branding to create a, a, a new look, which instead of combining the red and blue to make purple. Now you just have red and blue in the logo. What was the thinking in the, in, in changing the overall sort of color scheme of the, of the brand? Sure. Well, I was honored the ownership group um, who were friends with the SME group in New York um, gave me uh, kind of the lead on creating that new look with SME. And I wanted to bring back the traditional colors uh, that Louisville minor league franchises had worn gosh, back till almost the turn of the century, which were primarily uh, either royal blue or navy blue and red. Um, so when I was with the Redbirds, we were uh, red and, and royal blue. Uh, when the Louisville Colonels were here, particularly their last entry into minor league baseball, which is as the affiliate of the Boston Red Sox in the late 60s and early 70s before they left here and went to Pawtucket and then now obviously in Worcester, um, they were navy and red just like the Red Sox. So I wanted to bring those colors back, bring them back to life, and also did some research and found that it seems like most franchises that sell their gear very well seem to be somewhere in that color scheme. So um, we want the colors navy and red. And I tell you what, I hate to use a bad baseball pun. It's been a home run because uh, <laughs> it's been very successful. And we've had so much fun and the different uh, versions of it that we've uh, created for team store gear and, and things of that nature. And obviously, as the guys get closer to getting to Cincinnati or if they come down from Cincinnati, on an injury rehabilitation assignment, uh, it makes it so much easier uh, having the red as our predominant color. So uh, it's worked out very well. Now, like I said, the the purple was certainly distinctive within minor league baseball, but this one, you know, that SME branding came up with is, you know, I think been well, very well received. It's interesting. Uh, the new thing we're going to unveil for this year, obviously the latest craze throughout both major and minor league baseball has been the powder blue uniforms. Oh, yeah. Um, we've already done that with our Louisville Mashers. Uh, alternate theme identity, but we're now bringing it back uh, as part of uh, what we call our 502, which is our area code here, uh, 502 Connect. And uh, it's going to be a powder blue jersey top uh, trimmed in navy blue. And it's going to have a matching hat that's going to be powder blue and navy blue. And we'll wear that on selected nights. It'll probably be on Friday nights, maybe once a month. Uh, and uh, we already have unveiled it a little bit to the general public. And uh, we caused quite a stir with it. Everybody's wanting <laughs> to find out how they can get their hands on these. 
Absolutely. Well, and as a Phillies fan, I grew up with the powder blues. So it's, uh, you know, yep. certainly something that that I appreciate. You mentioned the mashers. Uh, I just wanted to ask you very quickly about a couple of the, you know, the the promotions and the and the alternates that you've done. The mashers logo is uh, it's a literally a barrel uh, for bourbon and he's got a it's bag a of corn. That's yep. a bourbon barrel, right? And he's got, uh, you know, he's got a, a a bag of corn in one hand and a baseball bat in the other. What is the what is the mashers logo all about? Well, mash is one of the processes or part of the process of making bourbon. And uh, obviously, we are in the heart of bourbon country. Uh, matter of fact, we've got three bourbon distilleries here right on Main Street. Uh, so we're very fortunate. And they actually call it and have a, a, a tourist tour called the Urban Bourbon Trail, where you can just go right down Main Street and visit three of the most predominant bourbon companies in the world located right here in Louisville. So we wanted to pay tribute to that industry and, and culture. And uh, so uh, several years ago, we created uh, the Louisville Mashers, which is one of our alternate identities. And uh, usually three or four times a year, we'll play as the Mashers. And uh, I mean, the day we did the unveiling of the Masher logo and name at the Evan Williams Distillery right down the street, uh, who we continue to partner with on this promotion, uh, within, I would say 10 seconds, uh, once it got out on social media, I could just feel my phone in the back of my pocket <laughs> vibrating and people just reaching out wanting to know how they can get either the hat or a T-shirt with the logo on it. Because, And I still have so many fans going, why don't you just switch from bats and become the mashers because it's nah. such a fun logo. <laughs> and it is. It's a great logo. So yeah. we do that. And also uh, our tribute, obviously, to being the home of the Kentucky Derby. And again, yep. Uh, alcohol, which we seem to do well here, uh, <laughs> we created the, the mint juleps. So we have the Derby City mint juleps as one of our other alternate identities. And uh, it's basically a mint julep cup or a mint julep glass. And uh, we've had a lot of fun with that. It's got a lot of the traditional Derby colors involved in it, which is the teal and the purple and the things that uh, you would associate with the Kentucky Derby. Uh, so those are two of the alternate identities that we have also uh, done and we wear uh, throughout the course of a season. Well, the the colors on the Derby City Mint Juleps brands are are just the, those uniforms and that logo is just a lot of fun, right? Like, and it really and we designed the jersey to look a little bit like a jockey's uh, top uh, with the uh, sides and, and the panels on the sleeves, uh, having that uh, jockey feel to it. Um, and uh, several times when we've played in these jerseys, we've then auctioned them off and donated uh. proceeds. They go over to the uh, injured jockeys fund to try to help oh. out the families of any jockeys that have been uh, hurt on court riding in, in, in one of the races. So oh. uh, we've been uh, proud to partner in that realm. That is a, a terrific cause. I know that uh, Brandios did the Masters logo. Did they also do the mint juleps? They also did the mint juleps, correct. Okay. All right. Well, those are those are two great alternate brands, like you say, alcohol-based, which is always fun. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you about one more uh, alternate brand, but and then I'll get you out of here. And I'm gonna I'm gonna put my Spanish pronunciation to the test right here. But one I have said often that one of my favorite brands in the Copa de la Diversión program is the Bats. Okay. Here we go. Murcia, Murcielagos de Louisville. Los Murcielagos. Murcielagos. You know what? Ed Rivera of the Dad Hat Chronicles has coached me on that, and uh, and I and I flubbed it. Hi, everyone. Uh, this is Paul checking in from the future here. I I'm recording a segment with Ed Rivera of the Dad Hat Chronicles for another episode of Baseball by Design. I know that Ed's going to be disappointed in my terrible attempt at at pronouncing the name of the bat's copa brand and so i wanted just to have ed come in and set the record straight 
as a native Spanish speaker with roots in, in Puerto Rico, Ed's going to set us straight here and tell us how to pronounce this, this team's name. All right. So here we go. The correct way to pronunciate bats in Spanish is murcielago. Murcielago. There we go. Boom. You, you said it. There I said it go. okay this time. And I'm, I can only say that I'm I'm very sorry for what you're going to hear when you listen to this episode. You butchered the language. How <laughs> dare you? Murcielago. There you go. And if you want to say it in plural, just add the S at the end. Murcielagos. Murcielagos. There you go. Okay. Boom. Ed, you're the best. Thank you. I do what I can. All right. Back to the interview. The look of the jersey and of the logo has, down through the years, been one of our favorites of our of our players. They really enjoy the colors, the black, the red, the gold, and uh, they enjoy playing in them, especially our Latin players. And uh, it's been a fun program to be part of and to be associated with, and, and we're looking forward to more fun with it this year. Um, our first year when we did this, we also, as we uh, unveiled and did the Copa Knights, uh, we had Aristides Aquino with us, and uh, we did a bobblehead of him uh, with the flexing bicep, uh, as he'd like to be known as the Punisher. And uh, we had a lot of fun with that on our Copa night. So um, it's, a, it's a great brand. Um, we uh, are excited to continue with it. You know, a lot of teams are changing the look of their Copa brands as we go forward in the 2023 season. But uh, we felt so comfortable with what we're doing. Uh, we want to continue on with that look and uh, continue to make it grow. Just in, in case you haven't seen it, the the brand itself is very distinctive. It, it conjures up sort of a like a Mesoamerican sort of Aztec, Mayan version of the of the, really the bat head, yeah. of Buddy Bat, our mascot. So, um, and we have that on our hat, and then uh, it's part of our team logo for that those particular nights when we do Copa. And uh, again, our players really enjoy playing in those uniforms. Well, that is a that is a terrific brand. It's all part of a larger identity that I think is you know what you know one of the best in minor league baseball. I really do enjoy the bats, you know the 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 overarching brand, the connection to the city, uh, everything about it, the ballpark. It's it it's a it's a terrific brand, a terrific baseball experience to get to Louisville and see. And a lot the, of people have been here, maybe back in the early two thousands or even in you know two thousand fourteen, like when you visited. But we just recently, actually during the pandemic. Uh, spent over $8 million on renovating the ballpark. So if you haven't visited in a while, or if you've never been here, please put it on your bucket list to, to do, uh, because uh, we actually took out 2,000 seats, made the ballpark a little smaller, and uh, there really is not a bad vantage point anywhere in the ballpark. There's a lot of fan amenities in the ballpark for everybody to enjoy. And the funny thing is, when I'm out the gates at the end of a game, talking to fans as they leave, it seems like half the time, they don't even know if we've won or lost. <laughs> They'll tell you they've had a great time. Yep. And uh, that makes me feel good because, you know, with your players coming and going as much as they do, particularly in this day and time, uh, it's more about the fan experience and providing a great place for family entertainment. And we think we've kind of checked that box. Greg, it's been great to talk to you after all these years. Congratulations on all the success for the uh, on the team and on your enduring legacy with the Louisville Bats. Uh, what an incredible career, 38 years there. Where can people find you and or the bats on online or on social media? Real simple. Just go to batsbaseball.com. And if you'd like to send me an email, it's just at gallyet at batsbaseball.com. And first home game is April 4th. And uh, we hope we'll have some new visitors coming from this podcast. that will come by and see us. When this episode drops, it'll be under a month away to uh, to opening day. So, Greg, thank you so much. It's been great to catch up with you. 
Great to catch up with you. You take care. All right, everyone, welcome back. I'm very happy to be joined now. I mean, such an integral part of, of going to Louisville for a baseball experience. Obviously, you, you know, you're going to get to a bats game, but you really have to get to the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory. I'm joined right now by Nick Fuchs, who is the marketing coordinator for the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory. Nick, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Paul. Excited to be here. Oh, man. Well, so I, I've mentioned already on this podcast that I have been to Louisville uh, twice, actually, for for baseball experiences. Both times I made sure to get there for, uh, you know, to the to the museum for that museum experience. And and it was great. We did the we did the factory tour. We toured the museum itself. I'll just ask you, you know, if someone comes to to Louisville, they're they're there on a baseball trip. What is it that I'm going to experience when I go to the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory? Yeah, uh, you know, we offer um, kind of our main offering is factory tours. Uh, it's a 30 minute guided tour shows you from start to finish the process of how we make Louisville Slugger baseball bats. Um, you know, we'll take you through how we get the wood from our forests in uh, New York and Pennsylvania. Uh, we show you the whole process of how we make professional bats, uh, retail bats, how we brand the bats, how we finish the bats, um, different options for colors and, and all that stuff. So it's really kind of a master class of just how we make, you know, one of the most iconic products uh, in baseball. Um, you know, beyond that, we've got the museum experience, um, plenty of artifacts from over the years. We've worked with, I mean, legendary players, you know, Babe Ruth, Ted Williams, um, you know, even more recently, King Griffey Jr., Derek Jeter, guys like that. Um, you know, you're going to see just a lot of, of really mind-blowing artifacts um, that we have in our collection. Uh, we have an exhibit called Hold a Piece of History that allows you to actually hold uh, game-used bats. We have one bat from every major league team, so every team's represented. You know, we've got like Roberto Clemente bats in there. We have a Babe Ruth bat that you can hold, um, you know, Hank Aaron, uh, Johnny Bench, guys like that. So I think about like if I'm at a baseball game, regardless of the level, if there's a foul ball, like there's such a charge to catching a foul ball. And I mean, you can get a baseball for $3 and 50 cents at target, right? Like it's not right. like the baseball itself is the thing that, that matters. What matters is the fact that that was part of, of this ball game that was happening on the field, right? Like that, that yeah. was, was pitched by a professional baseball pitcher hit by a, a professional batter and landed in your hands somehow, whether it was on a bounce or whether you stole it from a kid, whatever. So I'm thinking that, you know, for, for the museum itself and for the factory too, right? Like when you, when you go there, you're not just seeing, Oh, that's how a, you know, that's how a baseball bat is made. Right. Like for me anyway, when I was there, you know, just seeing these bats and hearing like, Oh, you know, this is a bat they're making for Craig Biggio right now. And it's just like, what? <laughs> like, that's crazy, right? Like he's going to yeah. hold that bat in his hands. Uh, you know, the, the hold a piece of history exhibit that you're talking about when I was there, I had to wear the white gloves, right? Like to make sure you don't, you know, get your, yeah. get your, your oils, get your grime yeah. all over these uh, historic artifacts. But I held a, uh, a bat that, and I'm not, I'm a Phillies fan. I'm not a Yankees fan, but I held a bat that Mickey Mantle had used. And it was, you know, just this experience of, 
connecting to uh, something that happened on these these ball fields that we hold in such high regard, right? Like almost a, a religious experience for for baseball fans. Yeah, absolutely. What is the thing that that touches people the most during during this experience? Yeah, you know, it it really is uh, interesting to see the way that some people do react at seeing some of these artifacts. Um, you can tell it really has a deep emotional uh, meaning for them. We've, like I, I had mentioned some of the artifacts that we have on display, you know, we've got um, Hank Aaron's 700th home run bat. Uh, we've got, you know, Jackie Robinson stuff on display. Um, you know, stuff, stuff like that, that can really kind of, whenever you consider, you know, what was going on during it just kind of, you know, just in the world at that time when, when some of those things were happening, um, you know, it, it's, it, it really is larger than baseball. Uh, and, and I think that, I think people's reactions, um, kind of put that on display whenever they, they see some of these things. I mean, it, it could even be, you know, we've got a giant, uh, signature wall in the, in the lobby, um, where we've just got every single player listed, uh, that has ever signed a contract with us. We've got their signature plate on that wall. It could even be something like finding, you know, your favorite player on that wall, or maybe even finding like a family member on that wall. Um, that really kind of just elicits that emotional response. Um, and that's that's kind of another part of what we do uh, here at the museum is, or what, you know, kind of what we pride ourselves on is we are sharing baseball history, but we also understand that with sports in general, but especially America's pastime, baseball, um, you know, it's just a deep meaning for a lot of people. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, I mean, and that's, that's my experience. I mean, I'm a baseball fan, so I obviously appreciated it on that level. The, I mean, this podcast is about, as I mentioned, this podcast is about why teams are called what they're called, you know, why communities, you know, relate to a certain thing. The connection between Louisville and bats, the Louisville bats is obvious, right? And the Louisville slugger uh, is the, uh, the naming partner on the, the ball field itself. So there's a there is a direct connection between the team and the museum. It's about a mile walk. I've done it a couple of times. It's a really nice walk right down Main Street there. How was it that the museum came to be or the factory came to be in Louisville? What was what's the origin of the connection between bats and and Louisville, Kentucky? Yeah, so you know, we started making bats all the way back in 1884. Um and our founder, J. Frederick Hilrick, was kind of um, the patriarch of the Hilrick family, right? They, they immigrated here from Germany in the mid-1800s. Um, J. Fred, uh, as we like to call him, um, opened a wood shop uh, in Louisville. They, they settled, I think, I believe their first location was on Clay Street, which is just about a block from where the Bat Stadium is currently. Um, open a wood shop. Uh, they, you know, only made kind of, you know, bed rails and, and uh, fence posts and butter churns and stuff like that at the time. J. Fred's son, Bud, uh, was a baseball fan. And he, you know, he worked with his dad in that wood shop. Um, and it was around 1880. It was, it was during the 1880s that Bud began uh, making baseball bats for local players. Um, we had a team in Louisville at the time called the Louisville Eclipse. Um, through a series of transactions, they eventually became the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, but that team was here. Uh, Bud, you know, 
being a baseball fan and being able to work in a wood shop, um, just started making baseball bats. He, uh, as the story goes, in 1884, um, he made a bat for Pete Browning, who was um, the star player of the Louisville Eclipse. Uh, and his nickname was actually the Louisville Slugger because he was a power hitter playing for the Louisville uh, baseball team. So uh, Pete had heard of Bud's craftsmanship. Um, he was kind of in the middle of a slump. So he came and asked Bud to make him a new bat one day. Bud turned it out for him. Uh, Pete's season turned around and kind of the legend was born in, in that sense. Um, it took a while for Bud to convince uh, Jay Fred to move into the baseball bat business. Um, at the time, our premier product was actually a swinging butter churn, um, kind of a different take on, you know, it was, it was an easier way uh, to create butter than like kind of the traditional butter churn. So that was kind of our patented product at the time. But, you know, Bud kept on him and uh, we did move into the baseball bat business. Um, you know, our factory was already located in Louisville and now we had this Louisville Slugger tagline uh, with us. And so the rest is history. And, you know, we, we opened the museum and factory where it currently is. We opened at that in 1996. Um, that's when we began offering, uh, factory tours kind of as like our main deal. You know, we, we had had people, uh, come to our factory and just ask for tours, um, or just ask if they could like check out the, the manufacturing. We had had that happening for years. Uh, but we, we, we really only offered it, you know, two times a day, uh, like four or five days a week. But when we opened this museum and factory, we really leaned into that and started offering it, you know, multiple times a day, seven days a week. One of the times that I was there for, for a, a bats game and to, to see the museum, we stayed right downtown. The, the whole sort of downtown experience was really terrific, right? Like having within walking distance, you know, not just the the museum and factory, but obviously the the ballpark is there. And then there was a, an armful of other stuff that was really great sort of part of as an, an experience for a baseball fan in particular, but I'm sure outside of baseball fans too, that this this downtown experience right there on Main Street is a really a really enjoyable experience as a visitor. In in terms of the the larger sort of downtown Louisville experience, what role do you know does the museum play? What role does the the ballpark play in in this really fun downtown environment? Um, the bats, you know, if you ever talk to Greg Galliette, who's the current president of the bats, um, he really kind of credits, uh, the bats with building up, um, Louisville's downtown in general, or kind of starting that, that movement for businesses to open downtown. Um, and the way that he has explained it to me before is, you know, prior to that, um, if you were in downtown Louisville, you would want to get out by 5 p.m. or else you'd get hit by, you know, the tumbleweeds going down the street because there was just nothing, nothing going on downtown. Um, like I said, we opened our museum and factory in 1996. Um, but again, you know, we're, we're, we're not part of like kind of the nightlife, uh, quote unquote. Um, so, you know, they, they kind of brought that extra entertainment value to downtown. We were already there. Um, since then, more museums have opened, you know, Muhammad Ali Center, Fraser History Museum, um, the KFC Yum Center was built downtown. So, you know, the, when you look at, at Louisville's downtown, it's really just been like the last 20 years that it's been built up. Um, and it is, it is a great, you know, entertainment area. Um, if you're visiting from out of town, it's, it's a great place to just have a lot of fun. Um, but yeah, baseball, you know, the bats and us, um, 
you know, we, we kind of were pioneers, so to speak, in building up uh, the downtown uh, scene here in Louisville. It's terrific experience. It's so convenient, just like right down the street from the from the ballpark. You know, I would just uh, the only thing that that I was looking for in the gift shop that I didn't find mm, would yeah. love a Louisville Slugger ice cream helmet. So, uh, you know, I wonder <laughs> w- wonder if that's possible. And then we could have a, a tour of the factory where they make the ice cream helmets. Yeah, um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Nick, thank you very much. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to come on and talk about the museum and the work that you all do there. Where can folks find the, the museum uh, online and on social media? Yep, uh, sluggermuseum.com is our website. Um, on, on Twitter and Instagram, we're just at sluggermuseum. Um, I believe Instagram is slugger underscore museum. But, you know, if you just search Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory, you'll find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Perfect. Thank you so much, Nick. I really appreciate it. Good luck with the upcoming baseball season. I hope you got a lot of Bats fans coming through uh, to take the tour at the museum. Always, yeah. I appreciate it. Well, thanks again. All right. Take care, Nick. Thanks. All right. All right, everyone. Welcome back. What a thrill. Long lost wildlife correspondent. That's so sad. It's, it's just been a few episodes. It's been we like, haven't had animals. It's been like two months since you were we last on. have animal like that, episodes. That's the problem, right? Well, long lost wildlife correspondent, Ranger Amy Burnett, in the Batcave in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's pretty nice. Yeah. Thank you for being here, Ranger Amy Burnett. <laughs> we're going to be talking about bats today, the Louisville bats. Now, you're a baseball fan. You know the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory exists in Louisville, Kentucky. They manufacture bats there. For... I know this because you gave me a little bat from there. You have a little, have baseball, a little bat baseball bat from the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory. I couldn't take back with, in my luggage. Because, they, yeah, you can't get those things through airport security. You, you actually have like a 50-50 chance. And then you just like, well, you gave it to me, and then I had to give it back because I knew right. it wouldn't make it through security. Right. Well, there, like I said, there's a 50-50 chance. I got it. Some of the Baseball Palooza guys got their Louisville Slugger Museum bats back. Through security and some of them and some did not. Mm-hmm. I was one of the lucky ones who who was able to make it through security with it. But uh, some teeny tiny things too, the, like <laughs> little souvenir bats, and they get confiscated at 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 uh, by TSA. Anyhow, we're not talking about baseball bats. No, we're talking know. about my favorite kind of bats. Your favorite kind of bats, which are animal bats, yes. which are represented in the Louisville Bats baseball team's logo. Their logo is not baseball bats; it's bat bats. So we're here to talk about. Bat bats, yes. animal bats. The best kind of bats, but you might disagree with me on that. I don't know. I mean I really like bats. So well, so here's the here's the the question. Uh, you know, and this is this is what we do on this. When Ranger Amy Burnett comes on, we talk about why it is that these these animals make great mascots for baseball teams. So I'm just gonna I'll put the question to you. What about bats would make them good baseball players? Well, they have these amazing uh, hand wings. So the I'm going to get a little nerdy here because that's what we do on, yeah. spot, on your podcast. That's, if it weren't for nerdiness, there would be no baseball by design <laughs> podcast. This is true, but um, they have these hand wings. So Chiroptera, the the order for bats actually means hand wing. And if you if you look at a bat's wing, you could actually see the digits of a hand. It had they have the same number of fingers that we do. And so bats are amazing catchers of things that are flying through the air. It would make them amazing baseball players because they just spread their wing out and they catch the ball they have a built-in catcher's mitt that's pretty good they have a built-in catcher's mitt that's very they cool do. yep the uh the 
little um, membrane between the fingers is called a patagium. So bring that up at your next, um, you know, when you next need to impress somebody at a bar. Patagium. Patagium. Nothing impresses people at bars more than patagia. <laughs> That's right. Oh, you even said the plural correctly. That's pretty That's awesome. what I do. I pluralize things so correctly. You know, not only do bats have mitts on their hands all the time, but they are sensitive. So they've got these little hairs with these special cells, the sensory cells, so they can actually feel when something like brushes past them and they can scoop up a bug in midair and then you know like like m&ms just pop them in their mouth or sunflower seeds or sunflower seeds but right. um most pet bats don't eat sunflower seeds but okay they will they are pollinators so they do have things to do with flowers okay but they do most bats do like insects and so they're helping us eat insects in fact they say that you that a bat can eat about a thousand insects an hour now i don't know if they could do that all night but they have recorded a bat eating as many as a thousand insects in one hour. So Amazing. if the Louisville bats were to play a game against the Sugarland Skeeters, the sadly defunct Sugarland Skeeters, <laughs> who are now the Sugarland Space Cowboys, if the if the bats were to play the Skeeters, it would be a pretty quick matchup. It really would. They would just yeah. they would make quick work of all those Skeeters. Right. <laughs> because there's only because there's only there's only twenty five Skeeters on the Skeeters roster, and so if they're eating thousands in an hour, yeah, absolutely, that's over quickly. They can eat ten in sixty seconds. So now. Most people, I think, when they hear bats, they, obviously they think of flying, mm -hmm. they think of vampires, and then they think of uh, hearing. They hear, they think of echolocation. Yeah. So wh what do you think? What are the practical applications for a, a baseball player who can echolocate? So it's that's kind of a bonus. So a bat can detect something by echolocating as the size of a human hair. So imagine like, I mean, I have a hard time seeing a baseball when it like go, my eyes are in the sun and I'm trying to follow I'm trying to follow the ball and half the time I can't even see I'm like, did it go over the fence? I don't even know. They can use their echolocation to find something as small as human hair. So that's pretty, pretty darn small. So baseball would be no problem for them to echolocate and find. So they have the, this amazing sense of echolocation. So if all the baseball, you know, stadium lights went off, they could still find the ball. If the sun were in their eyes, they could still find the ball, except that they're, they're nocturnal. So okay. most of the time they're going to be flying at night. So is there echolocation so hypersensitive right like i mean i imagine you know they can get a they could get a jump on a ball if they're playing the outfield they can like track the trajectory of a fly ball and they could get a jump on it like that's that's you know that i get if a bat is batting in a baseball game do you think that their echolocation would allow them to pick up like the difference between like a fastball and a curveball based on how the ball is rotating paul bats don't play baseball i'm sorry this is <laughs> Oh man, we need a new baseball by design wildlife correspondent. If you're not going to talk about bats playing baseball, <laughs> okay, okay, I'll hear. Yeah. You got to play along here. Could a bat tell the difference between a fastball and a curveball out of the hand of the pitcher? Yeah, definitely. Okay. Uh, they could definitely use their echolocation that way. Um, but a lot of people think that bats are as blind as a bat. Have you ever heard that expression? I've heard the expression so blind as a bat. That's one of the myths around. They actually have great vision. Okay. And some there are two types of bats. Yeah. Another nerdy fact for you. Okay. Mega mega bats and micro bats. <gasps> so mega chiroptera and micro chiroptera. Okay. And those two types of bats. So mega meaning they have big they have big eyes. So they're the bigger bats. Okay. They're size wise they're bigger and they have big eyes and they're more and those are the tend to be not. Um, diurnal so during up during the day rather than okay. at night and okay. so they use their sight almost exclusively and don't even really echolocate oh. but even the ones that do echolocate can use both senses really well um, the echolocation sense and then the regular sight sense very well so bats are not blind at all in fact the um the megabats can see three times better than humans can oh 
So my series of follow-up questions about whether Daredevil would be a good baseball player are not relevant. Who's Daredevil? Daredevil is our blind superhero friend who beats up bad guys using echolocation. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't know that one. Okay. But that's just, you know, there are a lot of myths around bats and one of them is blind as a bat. So they're actually super, have the superpower. So if they were a baseball player, they would be even better. They could use both echolocation and the sight mm. to see um, that ball. So they would be, um, you know, I like to talk about different senses that that animals have every time I come on your show. Mm -hmm. And uh, and these have just amazing senses. They can sense, they just have great eyesight and they can echolocate. Then they have these little sensory hairs on their on their wings with the patagium and everything. So they're just, uh, and they're just super flyers. Some of them have big ears so they can even hear better than other bats. And they look really funny. Some of them have nose funnels that that help with echolocation. So yeah, some so, you know, if you have, if someone ever says you have a big nose, you could say, well, better to hear you with. Right. <laughs> okay you've brought props i did okay, okay are you ready for this i am ready for this tell me about your props um i brought some things some foods that that we like to eat um i brought so i brought some mangoes yeah i brought a cashew all right i brought a chocolate bar yeah and i brought a banana okay oh and I brought some tequila yes you did okay. and that's for this right now yeah that's for this Here, all right oh, wow. okay <laughs> we're gonna um we're gonna pour we're gonna have a shot so which of these foods do we so you can separate them into two piles okay which of these foods and drink should we thank a bat for and which are not relevant all right bats? first of all i don't know if dan simon is going to appreciate you stealing his bit here with uh this is ranger amy's stumpers i guess uh, uh, it's a quiz you can call it a quiz all right this is this is this is a quiz. bat quiz okay so we have uh, again we have mango, yep. cashew, dark chocolate, mm -hmm. banana, and tequila. Mm -hmm. Which of these are pollinate foods or drink are pollinated by bats and which are not? Okay. I am going to go out on a limb and say all five of these we would not have were it not for bats pollinating things. You are too smart. You are absolutely correct. Wow. So that's true. We wouldn't have mangoes, true. cashews, Hershey's dark chocolate. Yep. It's the cacao. They actually pollinate the cacao plant tree. Okay. And uh, the cashew plant. Okay. Uh, and the agave plant is pollinated by bats down in the in their southern part of the range. Okay. These are nectar eating bats. Okay. And if it weren't for bats, we probably wouldn't have uh, agaves. And then agave is um, the blue agave is what makes tequila. All right. So blue agave, bananas, mangoes, cashews. And, and the cacao, cacao plant. Yeah. Thank you, bats, for all of that. Right. And they play AAA baseball at a really beautiful stadium in downtown Louisville, Kentucky. And they look so freaking adorable. Will you please get me a hat with that on it, please? please. They have they have a great bat-based logo now from uh, SME Design. And uh, yeah, yeah, they have red and blue now. Used to be purple. So how do we celebrate me correctly guessing that all five of these items that you brought were... Because you, you guessed correctly, we get to two. Take a shot. Okay. I should point out that for the listener at home, uh, Ranger Amy Burnett handed me a uh, a shot glass with the Boston Red Sox sock-based logo on it. And, and I've got the Beloit Snappers. Ranger Amy has a Beloit Snappers shot glass. So cheers. Cheers. Bottoms up. Thank you, Bats. Thank you, Bats. Thank you, Ranger Amy. That was good. Thank you. You can find Ranger Amy online on Twitter at Ranger Amy.
Welcome back, everyone, to America's third favorite podcast segment, Studio Simon Stumpers. Dan Simon, thank you for being here. Um, you're welcome, and I'm looking forward to this one. I, I look forward to everyone, but <laughs> we're talking about my hometown, Louisville Bats. So um, let's jump into the question. Here we go. Get right to it. All right. From 1999 to 2001, when they were known as the Louisville River Bats, the team's colors were purple and green. Yeah. with purple being the predominant color. In 2002, when the team name was shortened to Bats, the colors were changed to purple and black, with black now being the predominant color. So our stumper this episode asks, what was the reason the team decided to downplay the purple? Was it because, A, the team had been experiencing difficulties matching the purples across their logoed merchandise mix, B, it was at the behest of the team's merchandise manager because sales of purple merchandise had been steadily declining. Or C, some of the players complained the purple made them look like lollipops. <laughs> okay, so again, the question asks, what was the reason the team that decided to downplay the color purple, even though it was part of their their uh, the official team color palette, they wanted to downplay it and black became the predominant color. Was it because A, the team had been experiencing difficulties matching the purples across their logoed merchandise mix? B, it was at the behest of the team's merchandise manager because sales of purple merchandise had been steadily declining? Or C, some of the players complained the purple made them look like lollipops. So there are, there are very few purple minor league teams out there. I used to do a, a color wheel of all of the affiliated minor league baseball logos for sportslogos.net. And I, I stopped doing that once they eliminated 40 minor league baseball teams. But I always remember there were very few purple ones. And so I had to sort of wedge them between the red and the blue there. The most likely one feels like that they were having trouble matching the purple. The most funny one is that the players thought it made them look like lollipops. The downfall of the sale of purple items, I could I could see, I can believe that. But I am going to so my the, the way I'm gonna to try to suss this out is knowing you and your profession and your attention to detail when it comes to color matching, colors, you know, the, the importance of being very specific about color in logos. I'm gonna go A, they were having trouble matching the purples. Well, even though that was an altogether plausible reason, as was um, the possibility that sales of purple merchandise had steadily been declining, those, the given what I do for for a living, these are the types of things that we have to take into consideration: um, how things will sell, um, how they how how they can be applied in all the practical applications that they they need to apply from embroidery to screen printing to um, tackle twill sewn on on jerseys and the fabric used for caps and all those things matching that was altogether possible too but believe it or not it was because some of the players complained the purple made them look like lollipops first of all dan i have to say i missed the purple for the uh i'm sorry that the players felt like it looked like lollipops i'm sorry that i missed the answer to this question and that the the streak is over 
but the color purple actually relates to I have a kind of fun story, a little one of my uh, sort of thrills that I've had over the, the course of getting to write about minor league baseball years ago, back in 2017, the day after I ran the Phoenix Marathon, my first ever marathon, you know, hum, hashtag humble brag. I had, I had press credentials to the Rockies spring training facility for sportslogos.net. And I got to go into the clubhouse and talk with like all of the like Rockies stars, basically. Right. Like I was talking with Charlie Blackman and, and Nolan Arenado, who was still with the team at the time. And, and cargo was there and uh, you know, and then some of the other uh, players, like Kyle Freeland. So I got to talk like to like eight or nine players about the shade of purple that the Rockies were using. And back in 2017, they actually made a slight adjustment to the shade of purple that's on the uniforms. And like Nolan Arenado was so psyched to talk about the shade of purple. I got to talk to him for like 10 minutes about the, this purple. And then he got into all the other uniforms that he really likes. And he loves the black sleeves. Uh, you know, when he was in Colorado, he loved the black sleeves. But the reason that they changed very slightly their shade of purple is because for years, the shade of purple that they were using looked like dark blue on television instead of purple. And so they tweaked it slightly to make it more violet, less indigo, I guess, to make it look more uh, more purple uh, on TV. Well, it, it, it's an, actually an interesting thing that I've run into numerous times uh, in the course of doing what I do. Uh, you're, the difficulty of matching colors. Mm -hmm. um, look at the New York Yankees identity. If you look at their, their logo, their circular logo with the Uncle Sam hat in it, um, or you even just look on, you know, pull up, do a Google image search and for Yankee NY logo, the color that they use for that, the Pantone color is Pantone 289, which is a navy blue. But it is, that color is much, much lighter than the color of their caps. Um, New Era offers two navy blues um, for baseball caps. One is called navy and the other is called light navy. And the navy is what the Yankees use. It's what the Detroit Tigers use. It's what the Atlanta Braves use. And it is actually almost black. Um, it's if, if you held that cap next to uh, a printed brochure or something that has the Yankee logo in it and you and you look at the difference, they're they're night and day. They're both navy blue, but they're not even close. Um, and so it makes sense that the that the Rockies would change their official Pantone color for their purple because it wasn't matching things on field. Um, and it, it happens all the time. Maybe that maybe this is why my brain went where it did with the answer to this question. I'm trying to explain away missing the answer to this question here. So it's uh, but you know you you can't win them all, Dan. You can't win them all. Well, the reality is the the two that were not the reason probably make more sense or were better reasons for moving away from the use of of the color purple in in this case than the actual reason. <laughs> you know the. That the players complain that they made them look like lollipops. Dan, getting to hang out with you once a week and talk about baseball logo and uniform trivia and to talk about Pantone colors and lollipops, all these things. So much fun. Thank you for bringing Studio Simon Stumpers to the Baseball by Design podcast. We'll see you next week. And thank you for bringing me on the podcast. Um, hope you have a good one. <laughs>